you saw just a few moments ago, you saw the video and you heard from Carolyn Pace and uh, you've heard me say both in their presence and also in their absence that I'm pretty confident that no single individual and no single family had a greater impact on myself and my wife than, uh, than Tom and Carolyn Pace. Just um, the, the, the mountainous faith that they had and the unshakable spirit and knowing the call of God and being willing to serve through all circumstances and difficulties. And then just that willingness to help everyone. I don't know the missionary or national pastor that at some point wasn't sitting in front of these folks getting help and encouragement. And so uh, I am so happy to be able to talk about the next generation that's coming along. And Tom's with the Lord right now. And Andy, you're next. So why don't you come up? Let's give Andy a Grace Church welcome as he comes and shares with us today. What did you mean I'm next? (laughs) (laughs) You kind of distracted me there, sorry. Thank you. Uh, Good morning. I'm Andy, and I'm here with my daughter, Brianna, on the front row here. And uh, we've been part of your church uh, family on the mission field for a number of years. I, I can't remember when that was, but it was just after Phil and Bonnie got, came back from the mission field that you've been supporting us faithfully and generously, and we are very grateful. So thank you so much. Uh, we've been in Peru now for, and my wife and I have been there now for 27 years, and uh, building up what my mom and dad have uh, established so many years ago. Um, I always say they came down with Pizarro and Christopher Columbus, all that crowd. Um, and uh, <laughs> they were on the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa, uh, Santa Maria. Have you ever heard those three ships? Anyway, those of you who know a little bit of history know that. So uh, this, is, this is my family, but there's more. Uh, so this is my grandson. I just had to show a picture of my grandson. So we're pretty excited about it. And, uh, and he's just saying, by the way, there's more to my family. And this is all of us. So we don't all go to all the churches because it's overwhelming. Uh, so, uh, but they've, uh, we got together this past Christmas and, and got this picture. And just uh, my favorite person in this group is my wife. Uh, we've been married now for 27 years. Phil and Bonnie actually sang at our wedding. I asked them the night before the wedding, could you please sing a song tomorrow? And the, song, the wedding was at 9 o'clock the next morning. So they, they stayed up late. We're getting ready for my... So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and she's up in North Dakota with her parents right now, enjoying the nice cool weather in North Dakota. Our oldest son is Jason. He met Alessia in, I think, ninth grade in the school that we have there in Peru. High school sweetheart. God allowed him to marry her back in 19, oh, 2019. Um, and, uh, and they have our first grandson. Alessia is Peruvian, uh, born in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. Uh, so she's right from up here. <laughs> Couldn't go too far. And then, uh, and the grandson, of course. Hey, that's enough pictures of the grandson. All right. Uh, so, uh, and our oldest daughter, Alyssa, who graduated last year uh, for, with a nursing degree. She's now a, uh, an RN at, uh, at, a, you know, at a hospital in West Winston-Salem, Winston-Salem, uh, North Carolina. Uh, she's working the burn unit. That's what she chose to do because nurses can choose, I guess, pretty much wherever they want to go these days. And uh, God has allowed her to do that. She's being switched over now, transferred into the ER burn unit and peds. So if you know how that is, pray for my daughter. That's, a, that's an, intense, an intense job. And then our daughter, Raquel, who's just up the road here, across uh, just east of here in, um, in, you know, in Dubuque. And uh, we're going to go see her this afternoon a little bit. That's Ra- Raquel in the middle, right back there. 
And then Brianna and Michaela, who are with us on the mission field. Uh, they're a little too young to go to college just yet. We don't want them to go until they're 30 anyway. So, and uh, the privilege, I'm just kidding, you better get out before then. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so mom and dad, you know, it's been a privilege to, to obviously, uh, I watched that video, I've seen that video way too many times, and I, I can't get through it still. And I don't know how my daughter does, but I, I just, I'm like, oh, you know, every time. So it was nice to have that little break between while you did your business meeting, so I can r- recuperate. Um, but yeah, it's uh, uh, 55 years on the field, and God has used them in, in, in ways that, uh, that are hard to imagine. But at the funeral, my dad's funeral back in November, uh, people came that, uh, that shared a little bit of the story. It was an incredible celebration. I've never been to a, a funeral where there were so many people laughing and having a good time. And it was like there was this box in the front that people were walking around. They were like, get that thing out of the way. It was the coffin, and it was just, it was in the way because there was so much fellowship and lifting up. People were so happy to share what God had done in their lives through the work of my mom and dad. And it was an incredible celebration. But uh, uh, this is one of the last, my dad is an ornery person. If you know my dad, he was ornery, and he was fun. And, uh, and this is the last, the last selfie I got to take with him. And, and he has in, uh, really impressed on my heart the importance of family and I would ask you to pray for my family Uh, God knows and Satan knows that the family is that little piece of society that is extremely important for the testimony of what we are trying to accomplish as Christians and we know things happen uh, but we ask that God would keep our family in a way that we would maintain a good testimony for all those around us um, it's, it's not, I mean, the, the Satan's attack on family and missionary families is impressive. And so we know that we serve a great God. So please pray. I love the saying, a happy family is but an earlier heaven. And that's, that's very true. So we ask that God would continue to keep our family close to him. We're here in Peru, I mean, here in the States for a year. It's been a long time since we've been in the States for a long furlough. We usually have done a couple months here and there, every three, three years or so. Uh, but we're going to be here for a, for a full year. And we need to recharge. We need to, um, we need to recruit uh, or re- connect with, reconnect with our churches, recruit new missionaries for Peru. Can I get you to do me a favor? Can you get your phone out and set your alarm for sometime during the day, today or right now? Get your alarm, set your alarm for um, 9.38 in the morning, 9.38 at night. Just set it. And then every time that goes off, uh, whether it buzzes in your back pocket or what, uh, just pray Matthew 9.38. That is, um, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send more labors into the harvest. So it's a good little reminder that at 9.38, we need to keep praying. God says to do it, and we should do it. And it's just a practical reminder. We really need missionaries in Peru. We also need to replenish as a family, as a couple. It's been a, a rough three or four years, uh, very rough. And, uh, but God has been gracious, and we really want to get back to the mission field as soon as possible. So I'd appreciate prayer for that. In Peru, we are focused on uh, one goal using two tools, I guess you could call it. Our goal is that we would see Peru become a missions epicenter, sending missionaries from Peru to the rest of the world. 
and we're using Christian education and uh, church planting to do so. We need your prayers. The school that my mom mentioned in her video, uh, I've been administrating that for the past 26 years or been part of the board as well. And uh, that God has grown it from 15 people in our in our house uh, way back when. So we have 50 people on the, on the faculty staff and about 300 students. So pray. It's, it's always exciting to watch these kids graduate from kindergarten and move on through. They get a, a good a biblical foundation in their education. They speak two languages by the time they're done. And, uh, and then when they graduate, uh, that God would use these young men and young women to take the gospel to whatever, wherever they are, whatever career path they choose, that God would use them to do so with this uh, biblical worldview. We we have many opportunities to share the gospel with the family, with the parents. It's a Father's Day program. We take every opportunity. About 40% of our uh, families are unsaved. Uh, they put their kids in our school because we have moral values and because we teach English and in English. And so uh, God has used that to see many, many people come to Christ over the last 26 years uh, by, by his grace. We have uh, these three guide rails, as I call them. Uh, we want to be participating in God's soul harvest with this school and with our church as well, as I'll show in just a second. Um, and that we would somehow be able to build a biblical worldview where people in a culture and a society currently uh, plagued by the lack of truth, uh, the lack of any sort of anchor. Uh, everybody's, everything's just relative. You make up your own truth. Well, that's my truth. Um, we need to be able to get these, get these next generation to think biblically, to be able to filter the, what, everything that they're watching and seeing, every TikTok video that they watch, to be able to filter and say, no, this is not true. This is true. And that filtering is from the Word of God. You've got to be able to do that. So God would help us do that. That You would do that with your kids, with your grandkids, every time. If you have to detox after every movie you watch, do it. You've got to do it. We've got to figure out a way to get people to think biblically. Because if you are saved and you think biblically, the natural outcome is world missions. Uh, you can't get through the Bible without seeing world missions everywhere. So if you are saved and you're thinking biblically, that's what our goal is, that people will then send and go and, and take the word of God to places where I cannot personally go. So we have a church. We've been involved in church planting, uh, helped, part, helped start three of them so far. This one that we are in is a house church, and it'll probably stay. We'd like to start a network of house churches that is geared towards a segment of Peruvian society that is unreached. Uh, small people groups within the culture that a lot of times have so much, they have everything they need supposedly, but they're just as lost as the people that don't have anything. And their poverty is a, a poverty of soul and they, they need Jesus Christ. And sometimes or many times they will not come to a church, uh, but they will come to your house. And so we're asking that God would start a movement of house churches along with the traditional churches, um, but that people would be able to get saved through a ministry in houses. It's, it's been exciting to watch God do this um, and just set up in a home. It's a little complicated sometimes, but people are willing to, to, to open up their homes and do those. Um, a few weeks ago, right before we left in, in December, we got to baptize the first man after six years of working with this church. Uh, his name's Carlos, a doctor. His wife is also a doctor. And, uh, and he got saved on Friday, got to baptize him on Sunday, and he helped me baptize his daughter who was saved through the ministry of La Molina Christian Schools and his Christian teachers, uh, her Christian teachers as well. So uh, good, good stuff. And this is, this is just a picture of our church. 
Um, why Peru? Well, Peru, uh, Lima is a big city, massive city, 10 million people. Uh, and, and every single one of them needs to know Christ because God is not willing that any should perish. And it's not about the projects that we could do. It's not about the big plans that we have. It's about getting connected with people like Eduardo, who connected through, to our church through Zoom during COVID, uh, has never actually been to the, to the church, uh, to our house, because he lives clear on the other side of the, uh, of the city. And, uh, but he came because uh, we got connected with him because his dad was about to pass away from COVID. We were trying to get an oxygen uh, generator to him. And in the process of that, his, his dad passed away. Uh, by the way, Peru had a 10% death rate. It was a massive uh, blow to the country, the economy, to the everything. It was incredible what happened the last couple of years. Um, but God has allowed us to connect with people like Eduardo. So pray for Eduardo and his family. And this man named Jorge. Jorge uh, was a friend of my dad's. Uh, my dad uh, really got connected with him because my dad had a Model A. And this guy owns the, one of the best the, uh, model, um, let's see, old or antique car collections in all of South America. It's an incredible collection. And he loved my dad's Model A. And then when I got, uh, a friend of mine gave me that Jeepster, we rebuilt it and he helped us with that as well. So Jorge has this collection. He, he doesn't lack finances, but he does lack Jesus Christ. So pray for Jorge and that we would be able to connect with people like him. He represents a whole community of Italian descendants in Peru that people aren't reaching with the gospel. We would like to reach them with the gospel. And the end, the end vision, the end game of what we're trying to do is get them to go to places where we cannot go. Uh, you guys know Carmen, who is missionary now. She's uh, uh, over in uh, the Ivory Coast uh, reaching out to trafficked women. Uh, and an incredible opportunity, a horrible, horrible life that they've had to live, uh, m- many of them with their daughters or sons, and she is out there reaching them. A Peruvian lady from the mountains of Peru in the, on the Ivory Coast. Heinz and Lisette at the top, on the left there. Uh, Heinz and his wife taught at our school for several years, and then God took them to Germany. And then uh, the, the Suniga family on the left down below, and they are from Arequipa. They're in uh, southern Spain now, working with Muslims. And then Christina, that's not her name, by the way, but she is uh, Peruvian, graduated from La Molina Christian School. She was one of our first students. Uh, she is now in the Middle East, uh, reaching the uh, Syrian refugees. An incredible opportunity. They, they just flock to her. She speaks perfect English, perfect Spanish, and somehow just that community side of her, they love, uh, love to speak with her. So pray that God would allow us to continue to do this because really it's, it's about what God called my wife and me to do at the very beginning. When we first started actually just dating, he called us through this, this one phrase in Philippians chapter 1. Where he says, uh, uh, Paul's speaking to the Philippians, he's like, I want to think about you and hear about you and hear that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Um, I see, I watch the United States and the church in the United States from outside and to see uh, the good things that are happening, it's always encouraging. But to also watch, instead of the striving together for the faith of the gospel, when you see the striving against each other, the, to the detriment of the gospel. And I'm asking this church to stay faithful 
And I'm asking every church that I go to, please stay faithful to strive together with us, with each other, for the faith of the gospel. Because the people need the hope that you and I have. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have hope that this world does not know because they do not know the truth. We have the truth. If you know the truth about what Christ did on the cross for you, you have hope. And we've got to figure out a way to get it out there. But if we're striving against each other, then it's very unattractive, very unattractive. When I tell you, you know, pray for my family, that we would not be striving against each other because it becomes less attractive. When I ask you to, to work together, it's because the people on the outside want to see. They want something. We need something. And they need that hope that we have. So I was reading through a while back through the book of Romans and you've heard, you've probably read and studied through the book of Romans it comes up on the chapter 15 and in chapter 15 uh, some phrases caught my, uh, my mind, my heart, and God used them just to help me refocus again and I just want to take a little bit of time to share these phrases with you, if you have your Bible with you I'm using the ESV here uh, chapter 15 verses 2 uh, and forward, I'm going to skip a few verses here but Uh, Talking about this hope that we have. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached me or reproached you fell on me. His sacrifice on the cross was evidence that he was not there to please himself. We live in a society where it is very tempting to please ourselves. Who cares about the neighbors? In fact... If we don't even see the neighbors, that's fine, because I'm here to please myself. It happens all the time, and in many cultures, but it happens very harshly here. We see it. We please ourselves. We have to do what we want to do for ourselves. And it says, that's not the mind of Christ. May, this, may God, who gives you endurance and encouragement, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had. What was that attitude? What was the attitude? Well, he did not please himself. He was here about everybody else besides himself. And in doing so, he says, I want you to have that same mind. Why? Well, so that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we're supposed to be doing. With one mind, together, you, here, me, there, together with other churches in the area, other churches in Peru, that we as Christians would glorify God. What does that mean? Simply put, it means to make him look good. Make him look attractive. We can't make God any better than he is, and I know you know that. He is all that he is, and nothing can be added to that. But people's perception of God, a lot of times, depend on how you look and how you act. And how I act and sing and talk and, 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 and walk and, 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 and speak and work and whatever. They're looking at that. And I'm God's representation here on earth. Why he chose me, I don't know, but I'm glad he did. But I better be glorifying God with that. But he's asking us to do this with one mind and one voice. Which means we need to work on this together. Because they need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then skip forward to verse 13, and this is one that really got me. That may the God of hope, that hope that you have, fill you with joy, all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. That overflow of hope is missions. That's what it is. It's telling people why I have this hope. Why do you have that hope? What is that hope that you have? My question then is, why are we struggling to communicate this hope? Now, some of you are reading that and saying, that's not what that says. How many of you caught that? Does that bother you? There's a few OCD people out there that I know that just like me. You know what? That bothers me. He spelled that wrong. How many of you get distracted with bad spelling, poor spelling up on the screen? I can't stand it. You know, I'm sitting there. Actually, I'll come into a church. I have to concentrate not to try to fix things. Michael's earpiece fell out. Did you notice that? <laughs> Where's Michael? I don't see. <laughs> that, that, that struggled me. And I was like, Michael? And, and then I'm looking. He's looking around, looking, he's looking for his thing. And I'm like, it's right down on the first, on the first step. And he goes down and picks it up, you know. And uh, so we had a little bit of communication there. But the whole community, you know, that, there's things that distract us. Have you ever noticed that Christianity is often presented in a distracting way? Where people talk. How many of you have asked Jesus into your heart? Think about that. What in the world does that mean? Put yourself into the place of someone who does not know the Christian lingo. And you're trying to comunicar. <laughs> you know, it, it, we, we're not communicating. Because, I mean, I don't know where the Bible says, ask Jesus into your heart. I, I haven't found it. Maybe it does. I, I just haven't found it. So we use this communication skills sometimes. We need, to, we need to translate it. We need to get back to where people can see and hear and understand. We need to simplify. To give you an idea, um, Mariology in Peru, the, the worship of Mary is a big deal. It's a big deal. So I try not to deal with that though. Because that's not the problem. The problem is they don't know Christ as their Savior. When they get saved, God will... Help them sort that out and realize. I remember thinking, it's, it's not like you can, you know, uh, if, if someone is dressing wrong, they need to get dressed well so they can come to church and hear about Jesus Christ. You know that doesn't work. It has nothing to do with it. And there are many things like that that we get stuck on. I'm using some simple examples, but we get stuck on instead of what is truth? What is this truth? What are the essential elements of this truth? And Jesus addressed it. And I love this, this passage. Uh, it's three passages. Same thing. Uh, same message by Jesus. Uh, you know the, the parable of the sower and the seeds in the soil. Right? He goes out and throws the soil of the, the seeds out. And the several soils don't get it. And the one does. And then at the end of it, his disciples are like, uh, we're not really sure what you mean by that. Could you please explain? And he's like, let me explain it. And this is what it's, how it is. But he explains it three times. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And those three times, he says it differently each time. I don't know if it was a separate moments or if he, I don't know how it comes about. You know, but, but what he says here, if you see this, it says, As for what was sown in the good soil, this is the one who hears the word of God and understands it. He indeed bears fruit. But notice in Mark 4, he says, But those who were good soil, uh, those are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and then in verse, and in Luke chapter 8, he says, As for those who are the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word of it, hold it fast. Well, that's three different words or three different phrases. And if you go to the Greek, which I am not a Greek scholar, um, but if you go to the Greek, it is three different words. And those three different words, you couldn't be more different. It's, 
It's a word that's basically saying understand. The other one is accept. And the other one is retain or keep. Or to put it maybe this way, I get it, I own it, and keep it. And when I say to you, do you have Jesus, have you asked Jesus into your heart? It's because more than likely, you already got it, you understood it, and you're, you own it, it's yours. The problem is to communicate that sometimes we don't know how, and other people aren't understanding it. We, we have ways of saying things that are just, people are like, oh. Like the first time I tried to witness to my son. I think he was three, between three and four. And I was like, you know what? He's old enough. <laughs> so I sat him down and we're sitting there and I'm just going through the plan of salvation. And he's sitting there looking at me and he's like, what are you talking about? And, and that's literally the way he said. It. I was like, oh, maybe he's not ready just yet. You know? and, and, and he wasn't ready. He didn't understand. I couldn't make it clear to him. And I was using phrases and words that just didn't make sense. And so often we do that. Like the first time I used that phrase, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. I was think I was eight years old and I was trying to witness the guy about 11, 12 years old. And I said that to him and he had a pair of jeans or pants on and it had a heart patch on his knee. And he's like, this heart? And I stood there and I'm like, well, obviously not. But I got nothing on you. I mean, I have nothing for you. I, I didn't know what to say because I know it wasn't the, that little thing that makes noise inside here. So what do we say? Well, let me just, I just want to share this with you because there's a lot of blindness out there. And we need to get through that. They need to be able to say at the end, oh, I understand. Now I can make a decision whether I want to keep it or I want to accept it and keep it. I want to make it mine. I want to own it or keep it. That, that, that's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. But I do need to create understanding. They need to make their decision of whether to accept or not based on an, an, a, an informed decision. And I just want to share a couple things with you because a, a, a lot of what we do is tilling the ground now. There's evangelism where you're planting the seed and there's evangelism where you're reaping. You're, you're actually harvesting. But that tilling is becoming more and more important right now. So we need to simplify. We don't need to dumb down the gospel. We need to simplify it. We need to get down to where, what, is the, what are the basic elements? Because we're going against people that are blinded against the gospel. Not against them, but we're talking to people that they're blind. That's what the Bible says. They're blinded. So God tells Paul, Why called, I called you to do what I've asked you to do. Because it says in Acts 26, when he's explaining, when he was called to the ministry, when he fell off the donkey on the way to Damascus, he says, this is what would happen to me. It says, to, to whom Christ is sending you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's what our job is. Our job is to open their eyes. They say, look, here it is. Let me just explain it to you. I remember my dad saying he, he did this to a man on a, on a ship one time. And after 10 days of being with him on this ship, the man said, I understand what you're saying, but I've decided not to accept it. That's a horrifying thing to think about it if you know Christ. That is a bad decision. But it was his decision based on an understanding. People are going to reject Jesus Christ. But I hope they don't reject it because I muddled it up for him. They're like, I'm not really sure. Or my life is completely different from what I'm telling them. May God give us that power. I'm going to give you eight words real quick. And I just want to help me. I'm going to give you these eight words to help you share the gospel. Can you write these down? It's simply God, 
Humans, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, and life. That's the whole Bible in eight words. You see that? It's a great story. But we have to back up because if I say Jesus loves you, I don't know what that man thinks. And if he has a sexual orientation that is different from mine, and I tell him that Jesus loves him, I have no idea what's going through his head. So I need to back up. I don't mean to be disrespectful with that comment, but it's, it's very true. We have to be careful how we say things. Back up and say, God exists. I believe God exists. And if he exists, he created me. And if he created me, I'm responsible to him. But I want to choose what's right and wrong. And when I do that, I always choose the wrong way because he established it. I do it on my own terms. And when I do that, I'm separated from God. God, humans, sin, death. And that separation, that judgment for what I did by, by doing things my way has separated me from God. But God loved me so much that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who came and he died on a cross in my place. He took the payment, remade the payment for my sin with his own body and life. And if I put my faith in what he did on the cross for me, he gives me life. God, man, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, life. Why do I say that? It's because there's a lot of people that need that hope and they need it clear. I said this to my daughter when she was four years old. And, uh, and, and she, at the end of that conversation, she's like, you mean Jesus died on the cross so that I wouldn't have to die? That is when the aha comes in. Aha. And she's like, does mom know about this? Like, you will tell your mom, ask your mom. She went, asked, and she witnessed to her mom. She said, Yeah, I do know about that. What about my brother and sisters? Do they know about this? And I'm like, well, go ask them. And she went and witnessed to her sisters and her brother. It can be so clear. Why don't, let's not muddle the gospel. We need to create understanding. They need to know Jesus Christ. They need to know why we have hope. Let's not muddle it. May God give us grace to do this right. Thank you, God, for your mercy. For your goodness to us. Thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. Help us to share that hope. In Jesus name. Amen.